You long for children and your wish is granted. You and only you are good enough to take care of those children. The grandparents are not good enough to take care of your children and nor is the other parent of the children. Your irrational behaviour before the courts ensures that people you deem not good enough do get access to your children. You are determined to put a stop to that by any means necessary. This is the case of Bill, Bridget and Caleb Harrison and this is Murder Me on Monday. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Murder Me on Monday podcast. I'm Cameron and joined with me is Mother. Hello. So when you said you long for children, I, th- I thought it would be a pedo joke. Oh, I hadn't thought about you, that you, one. <laughs> you long for children. I did this. I did this one backwards. Quite often, I I research the case, then write the intro, then write the case. This time, I actually wrote the case and then struggled to actually come up with the intro for it because it's it's probably one of the weirdest ones I've actually come across to date. Or most of our cases are weird. That's the whole point about doing them. But this one, everybody kind of knows the end of it, but they don't know the start of it. And it was like I couldn't believe what I was reading when I was researching it. When I read the the synopsis that you send me it went in a, in a direction that i didn't assume it would last week i didn't really get annoyed by anything i think more so because i felt sympathy for the yeah the perpetrator of the yeah. crimes because he was yeah. sort of a bit mental am i going to get annoyed about this one is there anywhere that i'm going to get angry about because uh, not that it's a good thing i get annoyed it's not good for blood pressure probably right but i didn't as it, it didn't happen last week i think you might get annoyed with some of the procedural mistakes that actually happen because Nobody likes it when people screw up. If someone makes a mistake, I can forgive that. But if they're either refusing to learn or just repeatedly making that mistake, I get frustrated. Yeah, it's, that, it's, a, it's a system failure with this one, but it's a different kind of system failure to the last one. So you're probably actually going to get annoyed with it in some places. You, you're going to get wound up by some of it, for sure. Child custody is a, a very emotive subject, and it's been the reason behind so many abductions and murders. The level of hatred is off the scale with this one and to ruin not only your own life but drag others into it it's completely psychotic and i use that term in a non-medical way it's nuts dateline the tv show did an episode on this case which i haven't watched is that different to the chris hansen thing yes is that one where he says take a seat and you're a pedo that i don't know Karen, I, I wasn't sure if they were different. They probably are. Yeah, date, Dateline is a, a very long-running show. I've caught a couple of episodes, but I find it very, very strange the way it's presented. It's The cases are interesting, but these random... I wouldn't say talking heads because they're talking bodies in a studio, and it's always somebody different. They're people I don't know because they're American. And I just find the way that they do it really odd. They are acting. They're not engaged. Yeah, but if if we watch a show that's not made for the UK audience, it's kind of odd because American TV is very, very different than English TV. I watch mainly American TV shows, don't I? I? I mean, I do, but it's just the way that this one's... I know people actually love Dateline, so I'm probably going to get some hate for this, but I find cases are fascinating, but it's the way that this they do it. I find it really, really odd. So let's get started on a case of family annihilation with some extra twists from Canada. Bridget and Bill Harrison married in 1969 and moved to Missiorga in the 1970s. Being unable to have biological children, in 1972 they adopted a little six-month-old baby boy they called Caleb and in 1975 bought their forever home at 3635 Pitch Pine Crescent. 
Now, Mississauga is a city in the Ontario region, close to Toronto, with a population of around 750,000. Hugely diverse population, with less than 50% having English as a mother tongue. When they moved there, the demographics may not have been quite so diverse, but it may have been the reason why they actually chose the city to settle. What was the language? French? The secondary language. Yeah. Um, predominantly, no, it wasn't French. I actually, it's a, um, I've forgotten the figures now. I actually remember seeing them. I didn't write them down. But no, the secondary wasn't French. Because, okay, I wasn't sure if 50% of the, the population spoke English, for example, and then... Or if I've under if under that spoke English, they were Asian languages. The, the remaining languages made up the sixty percent. No, so the English a, isn't the minority, but there's just yeah. If yeah. more people made up the sixty percent, that's why I just wondered what it was because I associate French with Canada because of Quebec. Yeah, so I think it's the other this. side. I think we. I don't know. Um, I don't know geography, geography <laughs> the UK. Never mind like <laughs> anywhere else. As as I said, it may have been the reason because it was so so diverse that they chose it to settle, as Bill was black. Bridget was white, and the little boy Caleb was mixed race. We know Bill was an analyst at Sobeys, which is a supermarket chain in Canada, second largest apparently, so it probably goes up and down like our big four in the UK. Good job, but not board level. Bridget became a head teacher or principal at a local secondary school and even a super, superintendent and a special assistant to the education minister, so she, she did well. Caleb struggled at school, seemingly had Tourette's syndrome, I found in one place, and he and his mother clashed about his education frequently. He left school as soon as he could and worked in freight, doing the shipping and receiving. He was the office side of the warehouse, basically. When at the age of 27, he met a young woman called Melissa Merritt, who was aged 20 at that time. She'd grown up in a law enforcement family with a father who was a Toronto police officer and a brother who followed in their father's footsteps. She broke an engagement with her high school boyfriend who wasn't ready to settle down. She wanted a home and a husband. Most of all, she wanted children. Caleb told his parents they were planning to start a family. Melissa apparently had lost an ovary due to a medical condition, he said, and one day might need to have the other one removed. They wanted to have children when they could. And as an adopted child who apparently struggled with unanswered questions about his birth parents, Caleb was eager to start a family. He was six months old when he was adopted, wasn't he? Yes. Uh, so they told him. Yeah, yeah, he knew. He, he'd always known. Melissa and Caleb moved together in a place called Georgetown, which is about 30 minutes away from Missy Olga. And in 20, sorry, 2001, they had a boy a year after they met. Two years after that, they had a little girl. Caleb and Melissa married in 2003, holding the reception at Bill and Bridget's house, the childhood home of Caleb. The relationship soon became strained over money, the responsibilities of family life and apparently Caleb's drinking. In 2005, Caleb is charged with domestic assault and spent three days in jail and he and Melissa were over. Caleb would probably have been about 32 and Melissa was 25, I think. Things hadn't been good for a while, and when that happened, Melissa wouldn't let Caleb see his children. Court ensured, ensued, sorry, and according to an affidavit, Caleb filed in family court. Melissa's had a record of making up stories. 
In the spring of 2004, Melissa told their family and friends she had ovarian cancer, according to Caleb. She said in a statement, I admit to embellishing a health problem causing concern. I was being treated for a cyst and I embellished the situation which resulted in my and Caleb's family fearing I had cancer. She then denied the claim that she'd lost an ovary. He's not going to come out with that one on his own, is he? Anyway, a month after the three days in in jail. Especially after she's got the story that it was a medical procedure gone wrong. Yeah. So you've already already formed the backstory. It means you've said that intentionally. You didn't just grow back. No. No, she's a storyteller. You'll, you'll, you'll find this one out. So as I said, a month after this three days in jail that he had for this domestic violence, don't know the exact date, Caleb went to a party and had a few drinks and decided to drive home. Now, it didn't end well for him and even worse for the taxi that he hit. The driver died and four teenagers in that taxi were injured. Charged with drunk driving, causing death and recovering from serious injuries himself, Caleb was released on bail with a condition that he lived with his parents. Apparently, mother and father were less than impressed with him. Uh, I was going to say that makes sense, even though he's in his 30s at this point. It's, uh, having like, someone to look over him. Stability, and, and yeah. And make him accountable, he's got a proper yeah. home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly why they did it, I think. So, weeks later, Melissa reported a home invasion to police, saying she'd been attacked in her back garden. Cops come looking for Caleb at his parents' house. In an what, affi- why? Why did they assume it was him? Well, she probably told them. Yeah, but I, no, <laughs> no. In an affidavit, Caleb said that Melissa was obviously unaware that he had been severely injured in that cr- crash and he couldn't walk without crutches and couldn't actually have possibly been involved in that home invasion. Melissa reported several more home invasions around the same time. By her man on crutches. <laughs> Did she go around the garden like plugging two holes every other step? But look, he was here. Like a fucking trail leading on. Oh, no on. charges are brought and police were certain that Melissa was making the whole thing up. As are we. Actually, to be fair, I'm, I'm probably being unfair. I mean, I, I, mean I, I, I could read the synopsis, but I'm being unfair based on what you've told me because this could easily happen. They report it. Turns out the guy was doing something bad. Yeah. And then the woman ends up getting killed. Yes. Is it, it's only because I don't like what you've described so far. So in, in a vacuum, I would have been more on her side because you kind of, I, I always err on the client, the side of um, the harm reduction. Yes. But even in this case, it is unfair to him because he's not even there. And she's saying it is him and he's there and he scratches. Well, we know how many women a week are killed by their former yeah, um, partners. But, uh, but yeah. Men are more likely to be killed. So for, for men, it's, 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 more unsafe for a man to be by a car at night that's broken down than a woman because statistically men are killed by men more often. It's it's a weird statistic argument. I, I know what you're talking about. I've been reading about that recently anyway. Yeah. So in October of 2005, a judge granted Caleb access to his children on Tuesdays, Thursdays and every other weekend with a requirement that he abide by his bail terms, which included living with his parents. Do you think those terms are fair? I think Tuesday, Thursday, and every other weekend. It seems high. It, it seems it seems good. I'd like to hope that they, he wants to spend time with his kid because he loves his child and doesn't want to be away, miss all these life experiences. But uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and every other weekend seems it seems okay. It's four out of fourteen days, so it's a little under a third. Yeah, I. It's, not, it does seem high because quite often it's every other weekend. And it, it, some of them even you even have to be supervised. Yeah, and I don't understand why. 
that just makes it seem like it's inappropriate for you as a father to be with your kid. There's a there's when they're supervised, there's a lot lot more to it can be. There also doesn't always have to be. Ah, I hit the mic. Carry on. Yeah. So that winter, two thousand and five, Melissa meets twenty eight year old Christopher Fattori online. Fattori was six foot four and built like a brick shit house, basically. If you see the pictures of him, he'd graduated from high school. But that was all, and subsequently worked as a Hooters kitchen manager, a nightclub bouncer, and a handyman. He tried beauty school, apparently, but dropped out. Yes, I did have the song what, from Greece. As in him be the beautician? Yes. Or, okay. I, I had Greece going through my head, you know, the beauty school dropout. Uh, with Frenchie with the pink hair. The, the old folk is not me, I know. The only I can think about is bad as the word. That's the song I yeah, can think about. Yeah, yeah. So Christopher and Melissa are doing well and he proposed less than a year later on his birthday in October 2006. Nearing their spring wedding the following year, a problem arose. That is mad quick. Yeah. They've not been together a year, then a year following that they get married. Yeah. People do it when they've known each other a week though, don't they? Or 24 hours even. But nearing their, as I said, nearing their spring wedding, a problem arose. Melissa was still married to Caleb. I made a mistake when I thought that after two years of separation that you were automatically divorced, Melissa later told police. They later went ahead with the ceremony at Fantasy Farms at Banquet Hall in to- Toronto, but it wasn't a legal ceremony. And I, when I read that statement, I was like, divorced without having to do anything. That was astounding. I know there's some places in the world where marriage is a specific contract for a specific period. And I think Korea, there's some Islamic um, religions have the same, but mostly they are actually forbidden in that faith too. But sometimes it was happened. But she was a white Canadian, so no idea where she got the idea that if you're separated for two years, you're automatically divorced. I mean, where? How? How can you be that stupid? But and, and I know some people that are religious see it as a more vague contract with their god rather than with the government yeah but it she but, knows and, it's illegal and, and what they're saying is, is from the government's perspective you're still married yeah to caleb yeah whereas but she's she doesn't see it that way she's sort of you know what i mean she's it, thick yeah yeah i mean i mean is she or she's, she's just lying again isn't she well yeah probably lying yeah that's probably true yeah so a judge then granted caleb 50 50 custody his children would now spend half the time living on Pitch Pine and the rest with Melissa and Chris. Why did they change it to 50-50? I don't know. Maybe Chris, maybe Caleb was doing well, he was doing fine, and there would be no reason why not to give him 50% custody. I don't think Melissa and Chris were particularly stable, shall we say. They'd moved to a house in the same city, Missy Olga, but... I mean, if they dated for longer than six weeks, yeah. they probably could have figured that out, couldn't they? So, Bill and Bridget, Caleb's mum and dad, they loved being in their grandchildren's lives. They were driving them to school. They were taking them to activities. They were helping with homework. Being a, a head teacher, good help to have. Melissa resented their involvement. If Caleb is not caring for the children, then no one else other than myself should be, she wrote in various emails. Over the next two years, Melissa made five allegations that Caleb or his parents had assaulted the children. All of them were dismissed after investigation. They concluded that the children were being coached 
the children would have been about between five and seven years old at that time, I think. So it's, they're easy to coach. For whatever reason, it, it, I don't know why, it took until March 2008 for Caleb to get convicted on that car crash that he had where the taxi driver died and the teenager was in, were injured. And he got 18 months in jail. That surprised me. So I don't, I, I, again, I don't know how far over the limit he was. It might have been literally the difference between a mouthful of beer and a mouth, you know, spitting it and out. At that point, it's considered dangerous driving. Yeah. You, you, get, you get hit with multiple things, don't you? It's not just one. It's like Yeah. A but it, he events. did only get 18 months in jail, bearing in mind that somebody died. So I think there must have been massive mitigating circumstances or they just, I don't know why. It's very odd. Very interestingly, a judge gave Caleb's parents, Bill and Bridget, Caleb's custody share while he was in jail. By December 2008, Melissa wasn't allowing the grandparents to see the children. Three days before Christmas, a judge ordered her to stop interfering with access. Melissa and Chris didn't like that, not one bit. 9pm, 16th of April 2009. Bridget comes home after a meeting at school and she can't find Bill. She's going around the house like you do, lights are on, but stuff's turned off and but he's not there. She eventually discovered a locked bathroom door and managed to open the lock. It's one of those child locks by the sounds of it. It can be open from either side, but, you know, you stick a coin in it and turn. And find, finds Bill, who was then age 64, collapsed on the floor and not breathing. She calls 911, yes, it's the same as USA, and emergency services attend, and a coroner is called. All pretty usual so far. Marks were found on Bill's neck, but everyone involved thought it came from him maybe grabbing at his necklace as he went down and twisting it. But it, I don't know if it snapped or not, there was no explanation of that. The coroner and the police at the, at the scene thought it, was, thought it wasn't a suspicious death. What comes to light years later? Well, you can't actually blame them for coming to that conclusion. A couple of months before Bill's death, uh, a justice, Stephen Googe, released a report on the Forensic Pathology Service, specifically around paediatrics at the time. The Ontario government com commissioned this inquiry in the wake of revelations about flawed child deaths investigations. There was a guy that was a leading expert in his field and he gave false and misleading testimony that led to people being wrongly convicted or suspected in the deaths of their children. Based on what, what were the things he had given evidence? I didn't get into that depth within it, but we've had these cases over here in the UK where you've got somebody on the stand that is a so-called expert and they don't check into their qualifications. I, I've said it loads of times to you, just in, in, in general conversation, it might be mentioned on the podcast, but I, I really don't like the... Um, the bite analysis people, the blood spatter people, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Because a, a lot of it is, it's not even a soft science. Skin is flexible, malleable, changes in temperatures affect the bite. Yeah, experts couldn't determine if it was a human bite or an insect bite. The blood spatter stuff, again, it's the temperature, the pressure, the way people are standing. It's not It's not a science. If anything, it's closest to a soft science, but nah, it doesn't count. And I was wondering if this is kind of the same, whether or not if this guy is making... He probably could have done. He was this guy called Dr. Charles Smith, and it was it was a, a huge hoo-ha. The upshot was that they realised they, they actually just didn't have a very good forensic pathologist. Ought to get them trained up. And then in the meantime, sometimes people do die, but there were 169 recommendations in a report, so there was a lot to take in and a lot to action. But... 
Bill didn't have an did have an autopsy, but not by a forensic pathologist. There just wasn't anyone highly quality enough, qualified enough at the time. After all, his was a sudden and unexplained death, and the report showed several injuries, including neck abrasions, a large scalp bruise, and a fractured sternum. Talking to police about what was at the scene, the pathologist concluded that all of Bill's injuries were explainable. Speaking with the coroner, the pathologist learned that Bill had been wearing a thin gold chain, which he noted in his report, which may have caused the abrasions. Seeking an explanation for the broken sternum, he also after the, asked if there was a sharp corner that Bill might have fallen on. And the coroner said, yes, the bathroom vanity unit, you know. The pathologist was never shown the police photographs taken at the scene, which might have given him a different view. So therefore, the pathologist concluded that the injuries could have been caused by a sudden collapse as a result of an acute a cardiac arrhythmia with a fall striking the head and chest. It could have happened the other way around, he added, with a blow to the chest from a fall causing the heart to stop. His final report gave the cause of death as acute cardiac, cardiac arrhythmia. Now, this was the kind of conclusion that the inquiry specifically cautioned against. There was no evidence to support a heart problem. Acute cardiac arrhythmia is not a cause of death. It's a manner of death. It means that a person's heart has stopped, but it does not explain why the heart has stopped. So for whatever reason, the lack of training or whatever, he just never investigated further. And the family didn't get to see the autopsy, autopsy report until much, much later. And by then it was far too late to do anything. No second autopsy could be done because Bill had been cremated. Skip back a bit, though, to the day before Bill's death. Bridget realised that her grandchildren were not where they should be. They weren't at school. Obviously, she was still grieving and in shock, so it took a few days to confirm. But the children and her ex-daughter-in-law, and her whatever he was, Chris, they'd all vanished. Bridget reports this to the police, who wouldn't take action initially, as the court order giving her access was a joint one with Bill. And he's just died. That took a few weeks to sort that and give her sole access. It took seven and a half months to find the children. Melissa and Chris had driven to Calgary and then travelled east in search of cheaper rent. They settled in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where Melissa gave birth to her fourth child. She'd, she'd had one with Chris and then she had a fourth. So she had two with Caleb. By this point, she's got another two with Chris. They'd been having a lot of money problems after vanishing. Chris couldn't hold down a job and with, Melissa was determined to have as many as possible. She eventually has six children. Soon after, the police were tipped off about their location after Chris, who'd been using an alias, gave a rent check over to the new landlords with his real name on it. To the genius, yeah? In November, Melissa was arrested, charged with child abduction and returned to Ontario. Bridget flies across country and gets the grandchildren. I assume the others are left with Chris as well because they've not got nothing to do with Bridget, have they? The other two children. She only wants the two from her son, Caleb, so... Caleb gets released from jail for good behaviour and they all settle down to try and live a normal life. Melissa was released on bail with it on condition that she did not have unsupervised contact with the children or leave her house without authorisation. 
on the 10th of April 2010, Melissa and Chris went to Bridget's and Caleb's house, violating the court order. Melissa stayed Isn't in the... It, yeah, I guess it would be Bridget and Caleb's house at this point because Bill's dead. Yeah. So Melissa stays in the vehicle and is parked down the street when Chris went up to the door. When Bridget answered, he handed her a letter and photographs and said he'd come to deliver these to the children. At the same time, Caleb arrives home with the children and saw Melissa down the street in the vehicle. Bridget's spooked by this, so she calls the police. Melissa is arrested and charged with breaching bail. She spends three days in jail. On the 21st of April 2010, the day before, you remember the original abduction where they go off across country with them for seven and a half months? They're due to be in court for that. It was exactly 53 weeks after Bill's death. Caleb's eight-year-old son rode his bicycle home from school, pulled open the front door and saw his grandmother, Bridget, lying at the bottom of the stairs, obviously dead. She was aged 63. He runs to a neighbour's house for help. This time, the coroner calls it a suspicious death and Bridget was given a full forensic autopsy. If it was a murder in a vacuum, would it have been still considered a suspicious death? Without the context of Bill having been murdered and then having some questions. And now Bridget's dead with even more questions. If if Bill they, hadn't, they didn't join it up. Uh, okay. They did not join it up. They just okay, thought... that answered the question. I was going to yeah, say something, yeah. but no, that did just answer the question. Yeah. In a case conference to... When I said murdered in a vacuum, did you, did you think as, as in a vacuum cleaner or, or did you... What did you think? Because when I said it, that's what I thought for some reason. No, I thought vacuum flask. Oh, yeah, because neither has thought. I I meant in like a singular instance, like in an isolated instance. Yeah. No, they didn't join it up. In a case conference two days later, the forensic pathologist explained to police that the injuries to the front of Bridget's neck, combined with petechial hemorrhaging, which suggested neck compression, meaning she may have been strangled. But she also had broken bones at the back of her neck, not typically seen in neck compression cases. That supported the fall theory. That afternoon, in a second conference at the coroner's building... Wouldn't that happen with a collar choke? If you hold either side of the collar with your arms crossed and you crush, wouldn't that then crush the back as well? So I'm, I'm just thinking. I think you maybe ought to do a forensic pathology course. Is that what they said? Is that what? Don't don't tell me what happens. Carry on. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking. Like just to break the back of the neck, there to be, yeah. He's actually doing the movement here, and you know, actually trying to work it out. But I mean, I think both. It's, it's a jujitsu collar choke. That's what I'm thinking, and it fucking hurts when it goes like all the way around. So I'm wondering if it's. That's what I was thinking. So, so they had a second conference, and the earlier group were joined by the chief forensic pathologist. He had then learned that the sec- it was the second death at that house and he was concerned about, enough concerned about there were similarities. It made him nervous. He would later say that the first pathologist had not performed a layered neck dissection to further investigate the marks on Bill's throat. And I knew what that were, were because I used to watch Dr. G, Dr. Uh, Jan Garavaglia. She would have done that for definite. So the chief pathologist wanted to exhume Bill's body for a thorough autopsy, but that wasn't possible because Bill had been cremated, as I said. What is the, is there a law? I mean, I guess not, right? Sorry, I know I did that. I, I, I start the sentence in my head because I've already had half of it in my head and then I answer it as I'm saying it. 
about if someone's been murdered in a suspicious circumstance, whether or not they can be cremated immediately. Or because I guess it wasn't because it had two people look at his, it or whatever. His, Bill's death was ruled... Um, Accident or um, his heart attack. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, cardiac arrhythmia. So there would have been no reason. And if the family had seen the autopsy p- report before they had arranged Bill's cremation, they likely wouldn't have had him cremated. They might have asked for a second autopsy. That comes out further down the line. And as I said, when we did the Harold Shipman case a couple of weeks ago, in the UK now, anybody that's doing the, the, the cremations has to state whether they think that this actually might now be suspicious. If the fatal flaw in Bill's case was the failure to send his body for a full forensic autopsy, here was the key mistake in the second investigation. The Homicide Bureau did not take Bridget's case. Detectives from the Bureau attended the case conferences but left the investigation to the local division's Criminal Investigations Bureau. Police would not say who made that decision and why. Early on, police homed in on Caleb who was known to have a difficult relationship with his mother. But when it turned out Caleb had a solid alibi, he'd been working, and they they actually looked who the family had been asking them to check out for quite a while, they had a different think about this, Melissa and Chris. Now, these two geniuses had been trying to open a sort of child daycare. How? I have no idea. With all of Melissa's charges against her, perhaps they don't have to have a license if they've got under so many children or something. But apparently people were willing to leave children in her hands. And she said she was looking after one of those children on the day that Bridget died. Childcare does pay a lot of money, though. It can do. But sometimes in the UK, you have to be licensed. You can have sort of like three children over five and two children under five. I don't know what the rules were. Isn't it a certain amount of... Uh, kids per yes. adult. Yeah, and it's the age of the children as well if you're doing these things. But they're all fully licensed. Again, I know that are in certain places in the States that you don't have to have a license if you don't care for more than a couple of children. So police check Chris out. They find CCTV of him running some of the errands he mentioned, but fail to follow up on corroboration of one other place he'd said he'd been at, which was Melissa's grandmother's. He was collecting a drum kit of all things. They never did speak to her to find out if he was where he said he was. Police invest- investigate Bridget's death for two weeks. Then it all sort of faded away, with them eventually saying there was no evidence of foul play. The coroner classified the death as undetermined with the cause of death in this matter is asphyxia and the mechanism of death is unknown. The case was closed pending the receipt of further information. So that was all in April, May of 2010. Caleb struggled for a bit. He would do. He's lost both his parents. In in a two-year span. Yeah. He had to wait to get his driver's license back after that car crash. And how was he going to get the children to school and about without his mother's help? The neighbours stepped up and they all pulled together to help him, which I think shows just how highly regarded that family actually was in that area. They did all the running about for him. And if it's his his childhood home. Yes, exactly. People have known him. Like They might even be the kids who grew up with as well. Yeah. Because if he's, he's almost 40 at this point, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so they might have their parent. Their parents might have passed away, and they've still live in that house. The, the, the surrounding neighborhood. But 
in a, a world where people are don't know their next door neighbours, um, they don't have these relationships. I just thought it was really good. That it's good. They... It's positive. I like it when that happens. Yeah. So Caleb had sole custody since Melissa pled guilty to the child abduction after his mother's death. Melissa had access every other weekend. She served no time for that abduction, probably because she had four other children as well. Do you think that's the correct play by the government? Well, not government, law enforcement. I don't know. What's the, the phrase there? The courts, the courts. That's one. By the courts. Make, makes more sense. I can understand why they wouldn't want to send her to jail. She had four children. It, Six. Well, yeah, sorry. She had four children that still needed her. Within that household and then two that came from a slightly yeah. separate household. And I can I, understand why they didn't do it. I can, I can see why, because you want to favour the kids and then that might be the most like secure environment for them. But at the yep. same time, this person has committed a crime and just because you pushed out some crutch goblins doesn't mean you should be completely void of any risk. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Maybe she got a fine, but... Because I... if she served no time for it, I can I can see why Caleb served time for him. Because he, he did unfortunately kill someone and hurt four teenagers, I think he said. Yeah. But it, I could... Again, I, with six children to look after, it wouldn't be possible to do the equivalent of house arrest for her, would it? I don't quite know how they'd do that with her. But Caleb had agreed to a temporary schedule with Melissa where the kids spent every other week with their mother. So he'd have them one week, she'd have them the other. And that was supposed to be temporary, but Melissa wanted that arrangement to continue. Of course she did. On the 10th of July, 2013... So, isn't she changing her tune now? That's what it sounds like to me. Because before he had Tuesday, Thursday, then every other weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, that was original. Then he got 50-50. When he went to prison, his parents took his 50%. Then he got sole custody because she abducted them. Yeah. But then he was being <laughs> kind by giving her... You would do that because you've your parents just passed away and you're sort of you're in at this point you're an ex con aren't you so yeah. it's not exactly the easiest life for you but he was wanting i would think he was wanting his children to know their, yeah, yeah, but their you, mother you and their like, siblings it's an extra and, stress and yeah. and then so for him it probably it did take some load off of his shoulders yeah yeah very true she wanted to continue as i said and she filed an application again for shared custody Caleb hadn't filed a response to that and the custody was due to change back. So Melissa only had limited access and that was due to flip back over on the 23rd of August 2013. On the 23rd of August, a housekeeper had been hard at work for two hours on the ground floor of 3635 Pitch Pine Crescent. A man came knocking at the door looking for Caleb who hadn't shown up for work that morning. The housekeeper said she hadn't seen Caleb, but his bedroom door was closed. They went upstairs together and found him laying in bed with a blanket pulled up to his chin, tucked in as though he was asleep. He wasn't asleep any more than it's a mannequin. Caleb was 40 years old. The third person to die in that house since 2009, four and a half years. Can you imagine the neighbours' reactions? They're going to be annoyed because their property value is going to go down. Yeah. Yeah. Two weeks after Caleb's death, Melissa filed an application seeking sole custody of the children, explaining that her ex-husband had died. This news was and is tragic and very shocking, she wrote. The application was granted. I'm not sure who else would have been given the children. Anyway, 
Within weeks. I, I, I pulled a face as well. Yeah, but she... I, it's, it's, to me, it's kind of a given. Although sometimes I guess they would give them into the... the state. Yeah, which is, yeah. which is... I don't know if that's unfortunate or not. I think it is, because if, if you have a, an able parent there, they should kind of take them. But in this circumstance, she's not, because she went to prison for kidnapping them. So within weeks, she and Chris were heading for the East Coast again with all six children. There was an autopsy on Caleb, and it appeared that he'd been strangled. That changed the way police viewed his mother's death, and then perhaps his father hadn't dropped dead either. Finally the homicide squad took over. They had problems. As I said, that housekeeper, she had spent two hours cleaning the ground floor of the house and had likely cleaned up evidence. But luckily, she hadn't touched the upstairs. Well, luckily for her, she wasn't on her own when she found Caleb, but the police did have other avenues. January 2014, Half a dozen police vehicles drove down a country road in Nova Scotia and pulled up to a house in Italy Cross where Melissa and Chris had been living since November. They were handcuffed and charged with the first-degree murders of Caleb and Bridget. That night, after a 13-hour interview with a detective, Chris confessed. He said that in April 2010... He went to the house again with a note, pretending it was for the children. When Bridget answered, he forced his way in and attacked her. I hit her a couple of times, he said, and then I proceeded to squeeze her neck. And then he began to cry until she stopped breathing and laid on the floor. He said he believed killing Bridget would level the playing field between Melissa and Caleb and give his wife a better chance at custody. He said that Melissa had nothing to do with it. In 2013, he says he goes back to the house again during during the night, wearing black gloves, shoes purchased from Walmart. I don't know why that's relevant. And a hoodie with a baseball bat tucked up the sleeve. He lets himself in with a key stolen from Caleb's son. He made his way to the bedroom where Caleb was sleeping and struck him in the chest with the bat. When Caleb sprang up, surprising him, Chris threw him into a shelving unit and then strangled him. Because Chris is a pretty big fella, isn't he? I think you said he's six foot five, six foot four. Yeah. A big guy. Yeah. Again, he insisted that Melissa knew nothing about any of this until later. And I do wonder if that chest bat thing was to fake a heart attack again. A bit of a difference. You can have broken ribs. <laughs> it's, it's not just, oh, he is fixated or has a somehow a weird broken neck, but don't worry about it. If he's, if he's got bat dents on his chest, he's, it's a given. It's also said as well in the research notes that it was known that Caleb slept with a fan on. So he thought he could creep into the room and Caleb wouldn't hear him for the noise of the fan, which we know how noisy fans are. So days after this confession... The police put Melissa and Chris in a room together at Halifax Airport. Believing they were alone, they began to talk. A recording of their three-hour conversation would be played at trial, along with months of intercepted communications from their home in Italy Cross, Nova Scotia, where the police had installed wiretaps. The 11-week trial of Melissa and Chris ended in January 2018. The jury found Melissa Merritt guilty of first-degree murder in the death of her ex-husband, Caleb Harrison, 
but failed to return a verdict in the murder of Bridget Harrison, Sir Caleb's mother. They also found Christopher Tory guilty of the first-degree murder in the deaths of Caleb Harrison and Bridget Harrison. Chris Fattori was found not guilty of the second-degree murder in the death of Bill Harrison. For the first-degree murder of Caleb, Melissa, age 37, was given the mandatory sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole until after 25 years, which, factoring in the four years served since her arrest, would make her ineligible for parole until 2039. For killing Bridget and Caleb, Chris, then aged 40, received two life sentences with a minimum of 25 years to be served before he could receive parole and it had to be served concurrently. So he, will, he could theoretically get out after 25 years. They're both appealing both, both their sentences. So some little side notes. At one point, Melissa and Chris, when one of their magical mystery tours, rented a farmhouse, which burnt down. It was rented, yes, but apparently they lost everything. Am I weird for laughing at that? What? When he said they rented a barn that burnt down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just didn't expect it. That made yeah, me laugh. It was a farmhouse, yeah. They lost everything. And the locals dug deep and had fundraisers. They did the lot for them. So there was that side but eye again. Weren't they essentially like... Outsiders, because they... Yes, again. I'm so surprised that they, that community would have done that. No, Canadians. Everybody knows how friendly Canadians are. We're doing a case on a Canadian that killed, like, three people. Yes, but we've got <laughs> two lots of communities who have been really, really good. You've got Caleb's neighbours that are all helping him get his children to school, and then you've got this community where they'd only lived for very... Uh, with, with Caleb's community, though, they all knew him from childhood, potentially. They've, they've grown up with him. This other community, they've... They've gone somewhere, burnt the barn down, and everyone's rallied around them. Yeah, but anyway. So Melissa also wanted Caleb's will. Apparently she demanded it from the relatives. Seemed Bill and Bridget's estate was worth over one million Canadian dollars. I bet she wondered where that money went, who it had gone to. She wanted to know if it had been left to Caleb, and then would she get any of it via the children? That would have been assets for the house. Yeah, cetera, yeah it was primarily the house, yeah. Caleb's will also stated that he wanted his children to be looked after by his family. And I believe that there were some court cases, but they didn't get they didn't get them. And the office, uh, authorities are obviously not telling anybody where those children are. There was a lot of hoo-ha over that. There was an inquiry about how the police had handled the deaths and they didn't come out of it well at all. There were some mutterings that things were ignored, allegedly, because Melissa's dad and brother were members of law enforcement. All of this makes you wonder, as I think people do, that if Bill's case had been handled correctly in the beginning with a proper forensic pathologist to do that neck dissection to actually find out whether it was surface bruising or deeper bruising, maybe Bridget's death and Caleb's death would never have happened. It, that only would have happened if it was under suspicious circumstances, wouldn't it? I don't think they'd do a deep dive from an elderly man. As, they so, should have done. They absolutely should have done. There was an inquiry about it, and they 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 do realise that they should have dealt with that one different differently. It might have stopped what happened afterwards. You mentioned Melissa growing up in a law enforcement household. Mm -hmm. What are the implications of that, considering what she has done? 
she's she's committed essentially three murders whether or not you believe chris did it in the way that it happened which is my yeah. next question but stay on this one what was there any sort of outreach from her family any sort of what 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 what's the implications of that the implications were that things were ignored because her dad was a Toronto police officer and her brother. They might have investigated her dealings, where she was, a lot of the allegations against Caleb and all of that sort of stuff might have been handled differently if she hadn't have had the connections to the police force that she had. They basically gave her not a pass... But they weren't... It's, it's the thin blue line thing. And, yeah. And I, again, it's all allegedly. You cover for yourself. You accidentally pull over a sheriff. You say, sorry, sir. And then let them off. You know they were speeding or doing whatever, didn't you? Yeah. But Especially if, you're, if your dad and brother are in law enforcement in Toronto, they're going to let stuff slide or, or that's just going to get deleted, isn't it? Sometimes. Sometimes there's some major heavy duty police officers over here that do get done for speeding, which is quite funny when it happens. They get in serious trouble. And my last question was, do you think that is true in the way that Chris had described it, how, how it had gone down? I suspect there was a lot more violence. Do you think he was manipulated by Melissa to do them in the first place? Because he said that he had done it to level the playing field. Do you not think Melissa could have said, do it? So yes. it's, it's not it's not off of his own... I don't think he would have done it. He's got four children with the woman. I know she wanted her other two children as well, but a rational, I would have thought a rational person would have thought, why would I risk what happens to my, my children? Both parents go down there, don't they? Yes. It isn't just, isn't just Melissa that might go down for something and then you've now, you've got to raise four kids. It's that the four kids are now have no parents essentially because they're both in prison. This, it's the lack of critical thinking again. It never fails to astound me at times just how dim some people can be. Because based on her history of lying, fabricating stories, and then and then as well of having parents that live in sorry a parent that's in law enforcement themselves, they might have a, a sense of superiority or something almost untouchable. Yeah, I think you might have hit the head on the nail on the head with because that. Because if yeah. someone had lied to the police that many times, cried wolf that many times. And she always got away with it. There was never that, any real bruh. consequences. You know what I mean? There was never bruh any sound effect. Yeah. There was never any real consequences to any of the stuff that she did. It was almost I think that she felt she could get away with it. Yeah, which is what I, I said. Yeah. yeah, and what you said there, yes, I think she weaponized Chris. So do I, that's what I think. It, it seems that she's quite I don't want to say manipulative, but she seems to have fabricated a lot of stuff and then created a narrative and then other people kind of run with it, potentially Chris as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why they were still together. I mean, they guys had four kids, but you said that it wasn't going too well two years in, etc. It was money problems because neither of them could spin, you know, to keep a job long enough. They just, I don't, I don't get it. I, this, again, I'm speechless. It doesn't happen very often, but yeah. So finally, for the victims that should not be forgotten in this one, Bill Harrison, age 64, Bridget Harrison, age 63, and Caleb Harrison, aged 40. So that is the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Me Monday Podcast and email us at Murder Me Monday. Fuck that up. Murder Me. What is it? Murder, Murder Me, me on, on Monday. Monday Podcast at gmail.com. If you talk to us on Twitter or Instagram, yes, you do get me. If you want to talk to Cameron, just let me know. 
It's not a problem. No. Thank you to all the <laughs> lovely people that we have been chatting to because we had some lovely feedback and it's great. It'd be wonderful if you did want to help supporters by leaving a review on if you're on Apple. Right. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>